seasons of generosity. So, um, slightly strangely, I'm starting off with autumn. It doesn't really look like autumn outside. Hopefully, you've all enjoyed the glorious sunshine that's been around this week. Um, But I am going to be starting with autumn because, really, that autumn is a time for harvesting and taking stock um, of what we have and really starting from a position of thankfulness and gratitude. And when we think about it that way, it's really the only place that we can start about thinking about our own generosity. Um, So one of the slides, um, sorry, one of the hats that I wear, one of the roles I wear is a secondary school English teacher. And last week, Nigel um, started out by asking Google what generosity was. Um, And I thought it would be interesting to get some different perspectives on generosity. So I asked my year eights, those are 12 and 13-year-olds, what they thought um, generosity was. And here is what a few of them said. Um, Some of it was quite profound, so I was pretty happy I asked that particular year eight class. Um, so, So one of them said, it's giving stuff when someone needs it. Doing something nice for someone out of the blue. It's not just about stuff, it's how you speak and how you act towards others. This one is my favourite, it came from my favourite student as well. (laughs) And I don't actually have favourites, just joking, just joking. Um, It's knowing that stuff is temporary, but it can actually make a huge difference to someone who needs it. Um, It's a state of mind, not doing it to be selfish because you're going to get something out of it. I think she meant giving is a state of mind. Um, And it's not giving something away because you pity someone, it's because you genuinely want to treat them as equal. Which I thought this came from my 12-year-old Muslim student who shared a very similar sentiment to, um, maybe not quite so eloquently, as Barbara Bush. She was, um, if you don't know, she was the wife of um, the first President George Bush, real strong Christian lady. She passed away a couple of weeks ago. Um, But she said something which is, Giving frees us from the familiar territory of our own needs by opening our mind to the unexplained worlds occupied by the needs of others. I'll just let you think about for a moment because it's quite, um, it's something that we're going to talk about today, which is that generosity really just is an inroad into the lives of others and an opportunity for us to get into those um, needs and needs. where God can really use us. And I wonder which of those statements you identify with most. Is it giving stuff away? Is it doing something nice for someone out of the blue? And which one challenges us most? So today, in the context of generosity, we're going to look at it being autumn, and the seasons of giving, our relationship with our money, our own harvest, and how we make decisions about giving. We're going to look at the um, story of the rich young ruler in his meeting with Jesus and how we might look at what he's asking us to do with our finances. So autumn is a time for taking stock and harvesting and being thankful for what the hard work of the year has yielded and how God's provided for us. And again, it's not physically autumn outside, but there are aspects and seasons of our lives that might be reflecting this kind of autumnal harvest feel. For example, some of us are parents um, or teachers of the students about to take their SATs, their A-levels, their GCSEs, and this is a time of harvest 
reaping the, hard, uh, the, the rewards of the hard work of studying and revision and coursework. And already they may have received offers of university or college or schools based on what they're predicted to harvest or predicted to achieve. Recently, I had my last class, um, class lessons before both my GCSE and my A-level groups, and I borrowed some wise words from a head teacher to the children of his school um, and shared them with them, and then I gave them cake. And I didn't, want to, I didn't want to give them the cake to celebrate their results, but I wanted to celebrate um, the time we'd shared, the learning that we'd done, um, and to celebrate their potential. And I'm going to read it for you um, and... Let's see what you think. So, dear students, next week you will sit your exams for all the subjects you have been working on so hard for the last two years. We know how hard you have worked, but there is something very important that you must know. These exams do not assess all of what makes you special and unique. The people who created these tests and, and score them do not know each of you in the way that we do, and certainly not in the way your families do. They do not know that some of you speak two languages or that you love to sing or draw. They have not seen your natural talent for dancing or playing a musical instrument. They do not know that your friends can count on them to be there, count on you to be there for them, that your laughter can brighten the darkest day or that your face turns red when you feel shy. They don't know that you participate in sports, wonder about the universe, or sometimes help your little brother or sister after school. They do not know that you're kind, trustworthy, and thoughtful, and that every day you try to be your best. The results you will get from these exams tell you something, but they will not tell you everything. There are many ways of being smart. You are smart. So while you are preparing for the exams and in the midst of it all, remember there is no way to test all of the amazing and awesome things that make you, you. This letter, I thought it was quite a moving one for a few reasons. It talks about the individual talents and characteristics that make us unique. And guess what? We have got a letter like this, which is the Bible. Um, In Titus, God celebrates us and he talks about what he's done for us. And it says, when God, our savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, the A-levels we've achieved, the things that we have given. He did it because of his mercy. He generously poured out the spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Throughout the Bible, God has written to us about our destiny, ourselves, our identity. This includes the resources financial, material, intellectual, emotional, etc., that he's given us. And part of that is our relationship with money. Our money stories are also unique. God will ask some of us to do some things with our money that he might not with others. We're going to look at the story of the rich young ruler where God asked him to give all of his money away. But Zacchaeus, he only gave half of his money away. It has to do with our talents, our situations, but most of our our heart and our relationship with him. However, some of us judge ourselves on the quality of what we've harvested or what we have before we even think about giving anything away. We worry that it's not good enough, but 
God gives us our identity before we bear any kind of fruit. And then he also gives us opportunities in the place where we are to use these resources for him in every season we're in. So we're all in different seasons in life. Maybe you're a mum with a young family with not much time and not many financial resources. I remember those days of nappies being really expensive. Um, But what you do have is a community of other mums where you can make someone feel valued just by walking the same path as them. Or maybe you're enjoying some favour in your job right now. You're working hard. You're reaping the benefits financially. You might not have time to spare because of the busyness of your working week. But what can you back in terms of resources to support others? And you may be in a season in your life where you retired or your family has grown up and now you have lots of time. Might God be asking you to be generous with that time to support people in a very time-poor situation? So I've been really fortunate um, to have people along my journey who have poured generosity into my life. Um, when I, at the church I grew up in, there was a couple called Bill and Donna um, who led the worship. Um, and in those days, they, I think they did it every week. It was, a, it was a hard job. Then they also did the youth. Um, and they had, they had no money. Um, they had four young kids. They were living in a tiny two-and-a-half-bedroom house. But they were so key in developing my walk um, with worship. They would just, you know, we would just sit and talk about worship. And they answered all of my really angsty teenage questions about life and love and was so kind and never, ever made me feel like um, I was taking up too much time. I did babysit for them occasionally, so I think maybe there was a trade-off there. Um, they, you know, their, their season is different now. They now live in a fabulous five-bedroom house, and I don't know if there's a connection there, but they, they just poured out so much in terms of life knowledge, um, and they were so kind. And also, later on, um, when we moved to Swanmore, we went to... There was a toddler group called Buggies and Brunch, and it was run not by mums who were trying to do the same thing, entertain their children, but um, by some lovely old grandmothers in the village. And they would get there early, make the coffee, set up all the toys, put some croissants in the oven so they were nice and warm. And when we would get there, having dropped our feeling slightly harassed, having dropped our children off at preschool in school, they would take whatever baby or toddler we'd have and lead them over to the toys, pour us a cup of coffee and give us our breakfast. And I was so blessed by that. Um, But they were just giving their time and their love to pour out into other children. So let's pause for a moment to take stock. What things are you harvesting at the moment? Perhaps it's that fruit of putting some hard work into um, a relationship in terms of developing your communication. Maybe it's a job or project you've invested time and heart in. Think what, we, um, got, what God would like us to do is think about where we are seeing fruit. Where can we see the buds of developing fruit? And where are we not seeing anything that we feel we might ought to be? And what might God be saying to us about that? I feel like the Lord wants to speak to us individually about these things. And so as we invite him into this time with us, let's be prepared over the next hours, days and weeks to listen to the answers that he has. 
Just going to shift focus over into um, preparing us for the passage about our, um, the relationship that we have with money. Um, and just talk about sort of part of my own um, heritage on money management started with my own family. So my dad owned his own business and every week he would write whatever the business had made on the Friday block in the calendar of the wall. He was then very clear about tithing and that the money belonged to God. In fact, it was only because God had blessed the business that he made anything anyway. So it became part of the fabric of his business and our family that giving was non-negotiable. He even wrote a song about it. Uh, I won't sing it for you because it is ever so cheesy, but um, uh, no, I won't, I won't sing it. I can just about remember the verse. I did text my brother and sister um, this week when I was preparing saying, can you remember that song that dad wrote? And um, my younger sister, I think she was two years, she's like, no, but I'm really glad I don't. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, he said, God loves a cheerful giver who gives him 10% and a little bit more to help the poor to pay for food and rent. And in return, he gives us all we need and more. So I can still remember that about, well, I won't say how many years later. Um, then as we grow up, we, we need to think about how we respond. Our family heritage gives us so much. And then just like our relationship with Jesus, we need to choose um, where we do this. Um, and both Michael and I had um, pretty similar stories when we first went to university um, Michael, in his first year, was in his holiday. Uh, holiday. Um, he talks about it like it was a holiday. <laughs> it was in his um, university residence, and um, he said he got something through from the Worldwide Message Tribe, asking them for uh, donations. And as a as a first year medical student, didn't have a lot of money in his account, but thought that God was asking him to give. So he wrote out a check for ten pounds, put it in an envelope. Um, and popped on the side waiting for a stamp to go on his way out to be posted. When he went downstairs, on the mat was a letter with a cheque for £100 from someone from his church. And, And he always says that for him that really connected, not just that if I give to the Lord, he is going to give back to me, but it's about the heart. And I had a very similar story. I was um, going to go on a mission trip uh, with my church for, um, we were going to go to Haiti and we, I needed to save up the money for my flight. Um, I talked uh, and I had, I had got some money that I had put aside and I talked to one of my good friends who had recently gone to university and we were chatting on the phone and she said, oh, it's, it is really good. I'm just kind of struggling to find all my textbooks secondhand because there's no way I can afford them. Um, if I bought them new and she said it was X amount of dollars and it was pretty near exactly what I had saved and I felt that little nudge and I went oh well okay Lloyd if you know if you want me to go to Haiti you're gonna have to get me there so I called my mum and said mum can you um, send that money that I've got aside can you just send it to Julie please Um, because I think she needs it more Um, my uncle was visiting at that time and um, he Uh, he lives in Australia normally he was visiting my mum in Toronto and he said oh put Laura on the phone I haven't spoken to her for ages and we were just chatting through and he said so what was it that you um what is it that you're sending away and I just told him uh anyway mum said the next day he had put all of the money for my flight to Haiti in that account 
So because God's been so generous to us, we've really had not much choice to to keep um, being generous. And since we've both been working, we have got a standing order into a tithe account. It means we have money to give when God asks us to. Um, And as the Bible teaches, we tithe to church and then we put money into this account on top of this to be prepared because we made a decision um, that we wanted to be able to respond to God and felt that he's asked us to be intentional about making sure there's resources um, there for when that response needs a practical action. However, when we're taking stock, we will quickly realize that our finances are only one area that we can be generous with. When we first moved to Swamwa, God gave us this passage, yeah, keep open house, be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you will prompt people to open up with God, this generous so I've totally just lost my place. Just this generous father in heaven, and that's in Matthew 5, 16 in the message. And what we have seen is that this generosity is a road into the lives of others that God can use through us. Um, quite early on in our, um, in our lives in Swamwa, we, we made some friends. Um, we just felt like we should say yes to all of the relationships that God was kind of pointing us in the direction of so we would um, spend time with people, invite them over for meals, have coffee. I went to loads of toddler groups, including the one that gave me breakfast. Um, and um, about a year into our time there, one of our friends um, was about to have a baby. Uh, she knew that she was going to be in hospital for about a week because she is having a C-section and she didn't have any family locally. Her mum was going to come for a couple of days, but she's not going to be around for long. And so I thought, oh, I know what we could do, a meal rotor. It's something, uh, in church, that's a fairly commonplace um, thing, which I have been on the very grateful receiving end of um, a few times. And it's a practically generous thing that we can do, we can reach out with when someone's had a stay in hospital, a death in the family, a new baby, anything really, any life stuff that's going on that you are thinking, I don't want to be even thinking about shopping and cooking. Anyway, so I got in touch with a few friends and um, we uh, organised these meals and they were just blown away. And when her mum came to visit, she, could, she literally couldn't believe that people will have organised these meals just because we were friends. And she just said, but, that, but that's so generous. Why would, you, why would anybody want to do that? She said, because we love Karen and we wanted to, we wanted to walk alongside with her. Anyway, um, now, um, because this is, my, this is what I'm used to doing, and we're going to have an interactive bit, only if you like. If you'd rather just think about this on your own, um, you can. But I'm going to ask you to take a look at the following statements um, as we reflect on what our money story might be. And it might be a useful exercise to look at some of the things that have shaped our view about money, giving our own needs and the needs of others. So you have it take um, a couple of minutes to think about it and then um, a minute or two to turn to the person next to you and see what nuggets you can glean from that. Okay. I'll ask you to rein in your conversations now. Excellent, I didn't need to use the teacher voice. We'll come back to think, and we'll have time, some time and space to think about these later, because how we view 
What we have and how we manage our resources has such a huge impact on the way we can be available to what God wants to give us and do in and through us. And we're going to look at um, the story of the rich young ruler now. Um, someone who had a lot of resources, um, but not much in the way of generosity. Um, it's in both Matthew and Luke. Um, I think in Matthew, he calls him um, the rich young man. And in Luke, he calls him the, um, the rich ruler. So we now call him the rich young ruler. Um, so we're going to read um, Matthew, uh, sorry, we're going to read Luke. If you've got your Bibles, it will come up here. If you've got your Bibles, it's Luke 18, 18 to 30. Sorry if it's a bit small. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, He became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it's easier for the camel to go through the aisle of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we've had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. So, uh, we're going to look um, not as much at the, you know, the practicalities of um, the camel going through the eye of a needle and what that would have meant culturally in this day. Um, we're going to more focus on, on the rich young ruler. Um, and it's intriguing because it is the only story in the Bible about someone who chooses to walk away from Jesus' um, invitation to come and follow him. Everybody else, um, they drop what they have and they do follow him. So money appears to be a barrier to this man's relationship with Jesus. Not that he has it necessarily, but that he holds on to it too tightly. So what was it that got in the way for him? Was it the fact that he was very rich and the prospect of Jesus asking him to give it all away made him very sorrowful? We might call that his money story. We don't know much about his background, only that he was rich and he was young and he was a ruler. Um, I'm always telling my students to read between the lines, and so that's what we're going to do here. Um, So he's rich, he's young, he's a ruler. How did he get that kind of influence if he was so young? We don't know for sure, as the Bible doesn't give us a lot of his backstory, but it's likely through family connections, as much of the economy of this time was passed down through the family line. He sounds like he has been a good person for most of his life. He's used to obeying the commands and he recognises that they're important. However, his heart recognises that there is something about Jesus and that he is the key to eternal life 
And so he follows that instinct and goes straight to him. And the question he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because inheritance is something that he is familiar with. It's likely that he knows exactly what he is going to inherit as part of the heritage and provision of his family. And so he wants to know what the conditions are so he can get exactly what he thinks he's due. Ultimately, he sees um, eternal life as an inheritance. And his action um, is an obligation. So the ruler's question reveals the essence of his heart. What must I do? So the verb must indicates an obligation. It's not a choice, something done out of love or out of relationship. In the rich young ruler's world, he sees eternal life as an outcome of my work or someone in my family's work, and that can be inherited. And then his, his answer to Jesus' statement There is one thing you lack, go sell all you have, distribute it among the poor and come and follow me, shows where his heart is. He doesn't say anything, but the text tells us that he went away very sad. So like the rich young ruler, we are often so caught up in the rules we have to keep. We can tick off the commands, no stealing, done. No taking God's name in vain, yep, think so. No coveting my neighbor's Aston Martin, definitely not. So that we miss out um, on what we do receive when we pay attention to that number one command, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. Was Jesus drawing attention to his heart rather than his actions when he says, all these I have kept since I was a boy? I know that when I try to do my best to love the Lord with all my heart, soul and might, a lot of the time I do fall short. But if I am loving God, then I'm listening to his heart for the poor around me, whether that's the financially poor, time poor, emotionally poor. And I'm investing my heart and time and resources in them. In Proverbs 19.17, it says, Mercy to the needy is a loan to God, and God pays back those loans in full. And in Proverbs 14.31, But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Generosity is more than just putting our tithe into the offering basket or setting a direct debit up for a worthy charity. Yes, these are definitely important and a real starting place. But I do feel that the Lord is challenging us in this time after we've been asking him for more and after we have spent time developing our emotional and spiritual health to make generosity part of our being, part of our nature, a key part of our lifestyle We do have an inheritance, but it's God's inheritance once we trust him with our lives. And then we do get everything, including eternal life and the desire and the capacity to be more generous. I just want to start to close with this um, passage in the message, which has been um, really key in, in the way that I think about how God is with us. Um, and that is, um, if God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen. Don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to get you to do here is relax 
not to be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. So how can that make us more generous? Well, maybe we've been worried about missing out. Maybe we are so preoccupied with getting that we don't have time to respond to God's giving. Everything that we have belongs to him anyway. Every talent, every relationship, every penny. As we look at this week's passage through the lens of Odom, taking stock and harvesting, what areas are there in our lives where we can reevaluate our attitudes and our actions as we trust God to meet our everyday human concerns? How often are we afraid that actually we will miss out if we tithe or we give more of our time away or lose out because we share some of our precious free time with someone who's lonely? Generosity, as both Paul and Nigel have shared in the past two weeks, is inherent in God's character and that we'll never understand how to be generous until we understand the full extent of how generous God has already been and wants to keep being with us. So today, um, I just sense that the Lord wants to work among us, rewriting some of our money stories and issues. Perhaps debt has been an issue for some of us, and we're struggling to see how giving money away will ever help us climb over that mountain. Perhaps we've been guarding our time and our resources, and now you're starting to feel like the Holy Spirit is asking you to open up your heart to let others in. Maybe it's just that you just need to let the Lord reveal the full extent of his generosity to you in places that you haven't let him before. Maybe forgiveness for the things that we've done wrong and embracing the way that he initiates relationship with us. God is so generous to us and he longs to be even more. Today we have a choice to respond to what Jesus is asking of us. We can go away sad like the rich young ruler because we feel like he's asking too much. Or we can take him at his word when he says, you won't regret it. No one who has sacrificed home, husband, wife, brothers, sisters, parents, children, whatever, will lose out. It will come back multiplied many times over in your lifetime and then the bonus of eternal life. Going to finish here in terms of the talk, but as we move into a time of worship and ministry, let's be open to the Holy Spirit and asking what resources he's already given us and how he wants to talk to us about them. Thank you, Laura. Wow, what a lot to think about. Thank you. Why don't we stand together? I'm going to invite the band to come back. But as Laura said, this message is really personal, isn't it? Because the resources that we have to share are very different for each one of us. So why don't you spend a moment and just whatever it is that has kind of prompted you to think or you might have something particular in your mind at the moment, just ponder on that for, for a moment and, and let that land. Father, thank you that you do treat us as unique individuals. That's how you've made us. And thank you that you speak to us specifically. And we just welcome you to continue doing that. Amen.
So they're going to band, they're going to lead us in a worship song. And then after that, we will have some time if you'd like for someone to pray with you. But let's just focus back on God before we move into anything else. I'm laying down my life. I'm giving up control. I'm never looking back. I surrender all. Living for your glory 